Welcome to Inside the Path to Success podcast, brought to you by Opulus, where you go behind the scenes with financial planners Ryan Greiser and Fran Walsh to hear stories about how leading entrepreneurs, millennials, professional athletes, and coaches navigate the natural challenges that arise on the path to success and how to advance to the next level. And now, here are your hosts from Opulus, Ryan Greiser and Fran Walsh. All right, here we go. Another episode of Inside the Path to Success podcast. Today, we're talking all about Ethereum and smart contracts in general. Uh, So today, our topics will be, what is Ethereum? What are smart contracts? What is the future of Ethereum? Some potential problems? And what about the smart contract competitive space? Uh, So Ryan, I'll kick it off to you to start us off with what exactly is Ethereum and the basics that everyone needs to know about it. And our goal is to keep this simple and straightforward so everyone can explain it. Uh, you know, to a friend next time that that they talk to them. So, you know, first and foremost, Ethereum is a cryptocurrency and blockchain platform. So to back up, right, what is a blockchain? Real simple, a block represents information that is added to uh, that database. Once that block is full, a new block is created and a chain links those two pieces of data sets together. Right, so um, the Ethereum again is a cryptocurrency and blockchain platform that provides a decentralized global computer on which developers can build uh, decentralized applications, also known as DApps, and their own crypto tokens. So essentially, the, the Ethereum ecosystem is used as a layer, what they call layer one protocol, right? A layer one network with DApps and smart contracts built on top of that. So. Let's give an example of that. So if you think about it this way, Ethereum is similar to the internet in the way that Instagram is built on top of the internet, right? So dApps are simply applications that can be built on top of the Ethereum blockchain network for different use cases, whether it be escrows, whether it be title transfer, whether it be smart contracts that we'll get into in a minute on what they actually are and how they operate. Um, But it's just a blockchain protocol that allows things to be built on top of it, right? So the smart contracts are ultimately computer programs that can automatically facilitate, verify, or enforce terms of a contract entered into by uh, computers or humans, for, for that standpoint. So what are a few examples of that? Well, you know, a lot of people right now are refinancing or purchasing homes, right? So there are these third-party intermediaries that verify that these contracts exist and that steps are being followed to execute on, right? So what the Ethereum network and protocol could eventually evolve to is automating all of that information so that it can be quicker, cheaper, and more accessible to all people, right? Uh, another example. Uh, of how this could work with smart contracts. Facebook, for example, where does the majority of the revenue come from is ads, right? Why is their ad platform so special? Because they have all of our data, right? Through Instagram, through Facebook. Um, We are not compensated in any way, shape or form, right? For sharing that data. And all of us clicked accept before we actually read the terms and conditions. And when they're updated every so often, none of us read it to see what they're actually updating it to. Um, But ultimately, they're making the revenue off of sharing our data and our preferences and things that we like and follow and search. So in the future, now with that said, at the same time, we don't have to pay for access to Instagram, 
right? So it's free because we're the we're the product, right? They're taking our information. So in the future, for example, there could be some sort of smart contract that if I don't want to share all of my information with Instagram or Facebook, that's fine, but I might not have the same ad experience. So certain information I'm okay with sharing, right? Like I love certain uh, clothing brands or I love to watch, you know, meat videos on how to smoke a brisket the right way. I'm fine with being targeted on ads that I can follow more guys that do it certain ways because I'm really interested in that sort of thing, right? So in the future, I may be able to enter into a smart contract with Facebook to say, hey, here's the information I'm okay with sharing so you can make ad revenue off of me, but I want to be compensated for that. So for every piece of information that they use, the smart contract that I have with them will be able to pay me X, Y, and Z dollars for sharing more information that I'm comfortable with. So that could really be something that's really interesting in the future, just from like an ad perspective of where the Instagrams and Facebooks of the world could have a structure where we could actually just make money by sharing our data and information. Um, Now, on a more personal side, there's also a lot more things like that nice little Apple watch that you're wearing, right? is collecting some sort of data on you. Heart rate, activity, movement, uh, Apple or whoever has access to that. You know, they say they're not using it in some way. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But if you could say, hey, you know what? I'm okay with Apple tracking my heart rate, tracking this, that, and the other thing, or maybe sharing that information with a medical research company. Uh, Instead of just saying, hey, I'll give it away to you for free, you may be able to enter into a smart contract with some sort of blockchain technology and a third party to share pieces of information of yours that is automatically executed on and you're receiving a payment for, right? Which is really interesting and cool as we take a look down uh, down that route of where things could go in the future with that. So that's a little bit about the Ethereum blockchain network, how dApps could work, and how smart contracts uh, could ultimately be, be executed on. Yeah, and I think that's super important to note too, just... I mean, we went down a rabbit hole of what smart contracts could be. Like we are just at the beginning, right? So all 100%. those things could be could be years away. But that just shows how crazy the use case could get down the line, where every piece of data could become, in some way, shape, or form, a smart contract. Which is why Ethereum and these other smart contract platforms, you know, are so like there's so much uh, excitement around, 100%. and they have so much potential for the future. So one thing I wanted to note uh, real quick when you were going back there. Um, Ethereum is the platform, right? The blockchain platform that it's the technology that people see. But what is actually, when people go to buy Ethereum on, uh, you know, Coinbase or whatever, Gemini, whatever app it is you use, you're actually buying their native cryptocurrency Ether, right? I just wanted to be clear about that. So Ethereum is what's actually the blockchain technology, the network, like the internet, like you said, and it actually has its own native currency called Ether. So I just wanted to uh, make that clarification because I think, when people probably go read their articles online, they probably get confused. They see all this terminology. They're like, what is what is the difference between this stuff? Um, so going back to Ethereum, right? I want to talk about some potential issues and some potential you know, things down the line that we might see. So right now, like we talked about, there, if anyone listened to the blockchain podcast, right, it sounds like there is nothing but positive things on the horizon, right? But that's certainly not the case, right? Yep. There's, there's a lot of potential issues and issues that we're currently experiencing at the moment. So right now... There's really four main problems with Ethereum that are currently trying to be solved. Number one is high gas fees. Essentially, every time that uh, miners provide computational power to run the network, because there's an extreme demand of users and there's not enough miners to verify those 
those transactions, so that as demand goes up, gas fees go up significantly. So when certain Ethereum applications soar in popularity, like NFTs, for example, and everyone's trying to buy these things, there is an extreme demand to verify those transactions. So what happens? Gas fees start rising tremendously. And then you get in situations where we've seen where people might be paying more in a gas fee than they are for the actual NFT that they're trying to purchase, right? They're trying to buy a, a $200 NFT and they're paying $250 in gas fees, which is ridiculous, right? Yeah. That's that's well, not a problem that anyone wants to have who's investing, right? You got to yeah. double your money just to break even. Yeah, perfect example, right? I transferred some of, of my personal ETH from Coinbase over to our primary platform where we're managing portfolios on Gemini. And like the gas fee I had to pay to transfer it was a lot more yeah, <laughs> than what exactly, I really yep. would have preferred that it was, right? Exactly. Uh, problem number two is power usage. Uh, so essentially, establishing consensus on the current blockchain is based on puzzles that are being solved by nodes, uh, which is called proof of work. This takes up an extreme amount of energy and therefore is seen as pollution and is damaging to our natural environment, right? So not a lot of people are happy with that. No one is happy when there's extreme amounts of energy. We've heard about this problem with Bitcoin. With Ethereum, it's no different. It takes a significant amount of energy to run this blockchain technology. Issue number three is disk space usage. Um, as the Ethereum network continues to grow, running nodes become much more difficult because as the blockchain history keeps growing, there's more data. What it does is it fills up your disk space and potentially limits who has the equipment necessary to continue running these nodes. Therefore, the amount of miners keeps decreasing, which hence increases demand even more because there's less people able to fill those transactions, yep. which increases gas fees even further than what we're already talking about. Lastly is network congestion. Um, when there's high times of demand, the congestion slows down the execution of the smart contracts that you're talking about. Um, and as these you know, uh, smart contracts are getting slowed down, they're not being um, you know, properly um, transacted. Uh, no one's happy, either those running the applications or the users who are trying to just participate in them. Um, so this is just four problems that no one's happy with, right? So what is the solution to this? Currently, at the moment, Ethereum is trying to launch what's called Ethereum 2.0 or the merge, if you've done any research on your own. Essentially, at the moment, uh, Ethereum's a proof-of-work protocol, as we spoke about. And as they're transitioning to Ethereum 2.0, they're going to be moving to proof-of-stake, uh, which most analysts are projecting is going to be happening in June of this year. I mean, they've been saying it's going to happen for a yeah. while, but, but the consensus <laughs> is that is actually supposed to happen. It was Q1 this year. Now it's supposed to be Q2. What proof-of-stake means is basically... It requires validator nodes to stake a certain amount of Ether to validate blocks so that miners are not necessary. Validators will still need to do some level of computation on the Ethereum blockchain, but not nearly close to what is required today. This has really been anticipated for a long time, as we mentioned, um, but it's so anticipated because it's going to be a much greener and a much more scalable solution. What it really does is it's enabling users to validate transactions and mint new Ethereum uh, based on their Ether holdings. So there's just much less computational power and more scalability, which is going to make the entire blockchain much more efficient. It's also going to add capacity to our Ethereum network and support its growth and basically stop the overall congestion issues that we see, uh, which is going to also hopefully decrease gas fees. Uh, part of this is going to be through a new feature that they're calling sharding. So essentially what they have right now is the entire blockchain is just one large blockchain. What sharding is meant to do is it's going to try to um, devise that entire blockchain into 64 separate chains so that the 
the, you know, they're called miners today, but those who are operating the nodes will only have to operate on 164th of the chain, which will essentially give the idea that, you know, we're able to make much more transactions, uh, operate them much more faster. And this may uh, lead to lower gas fees because, because of the, um, the operating ability, there'll be much more people capable of providing the nodes because the equipment necessary to run a node and be a miner will be much less than what it is today because of less disk space required. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, Ethereum 2.0 claims it's going to be more scalable between sharding and the layer two scaling solutions. Um, it's expected that Ethereum's output today is only about 15 transactions per second. They are hopeful that the uh, these layer two scaling solutions are going to get up to about 100,000 per second. Or, or, yeah, so that's uh, obviously a much uh, greater impact than what we're seeing today. It's going to be more secure. Proof of stake consensus will increase both decentralization and the cost of attacking the network. And lastly, more sustainable. Everyone wants everything to be more green. Everyone wants it to require less energy, better for the environment. Um, so those are really the three uh, main points that Ethereum 2.0 is trying to cover to fix those four main problems that we're seeing today. Yeah, I think as, as time goes on, too, you have this innovation that solves a big problem, but then it creates new problems, yep. right? And then we're kind of going down this route now of saying, okay, what's the next problem we can solve? How can we innovate around it and push things down down the road? So it'll be really interesting to see as, as things do play out, how does this technology get greener, which I think everyone kind of wants, yeah. obviously, at your point, more secure, more stable, and and more accessible right yeah. to everyone. Yeah. And I think the best way uh, it was put was actually, um, we we're reading through Ark Invest's new big ideas. The, one of the titles of their slides was simply like, Ethereum is a work in process, which is like the best way to put it. Like, <laughs> yeah. This stuff is never good. Anytime you have new technology, it's never going to be perfect. But as long as you're making strides, and, and for the, just for those who don't know much about Ethereum, it was launched in 2015. So here we are in 2022, and they're still trying to make upgrades seven years later. That just shows that like anytime you have brand new technology, it's never going to be perfect at first. I'm I'm assuming Ethereum 2.0, the merge is not going to be the last upgrade they do. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there will be another upgrade, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now. Um, As technology continues to scale and we can make things better and more efficient, always upgrades are going to be capping. But as long as we're moving in the right direction, I think that's what people feel really good about in its ability to help enhance every user's experience, both, you know, on the institutional side and retail side. 100%. And I actually, coincidentally, I stumbled across my original iPhone from like 2009. Yeah. And just think about how far that that technology has come. It was an awesome phone in 2009, 2010. It, but looking at it now, like the screen's tiny, the camera's terrible. It's like everything of it is like awful. And now what, 13, 12 years later, how far that phone has come. It's really going to, in our opinion, it's going to be the same thing as this crypto ecosystem evolves. Yeah. It's a step in the right direction, but where it could be a decade from now, it's almost, we potentially can't even really comprehend it yep. fully yep. Uh, of the advancements that it can make and the impact it could have on our world. Yeah. And I think one thing that's important to note too, uh, we were talking beforehand, is that uh, we're focusing on Ethereum today because Ethereum's you know the biggest and the most known of these smart contract platforms, right? But there's there's several other key ones that if, if you just look on, you know, Coin Market Cap or wherever you look at, you've probably seen names like Solana, Cardano, Avalanche, Chainlink. These are all other smart contract platforms that are trying to do the same thing that Ethereum is trying to do. They're trying to build an ecosystem that, you know, dApps or decentralized applications are able to build themselves off. So 
it's obviously a space that a lot of, uh, you know, different teams and projects think is going to be the next big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so certainly just be on the lookout, do your due diligence before doing anything, but, um, it is a rapidly going, growing space and, uh, you know, it's exciting to see what the future holds for it. Yeah. And on that note, a lot more, uh, tokens and other cryptocurrencies are built on the Ethereum protocol than a lot of people even realize, Yeah, you know, so the vast majority of them, in fact, are yeah. built on that. Right. So, um, it's interesting stuff. We'll be curious to see kind of where it goes. But, but why don't we dive into some of ARK stuff, yep. right? So yeah. uh, ARK Invest just released a couple of weeks ago. Their their big idea is 2022. goes over like 10, 15 different disruptive innovation themes that are out there. Uh, and one of them is based on Ethereum and DeFi or decentralized finance. So so let's go through some of those slides, just kind of point out a few things that, that we thought were interesting. And we kind of talk about uh, about that for a minute before we wrap up. Sure. I mean, the one thing that really stood out to me now, obviously take all this with a grain of salt, but the one thing that I thought was extreme was they talk about um, the overall Ethereum blockchain technology could exceed 20 trillion in market cap within the next 10 years. Uh, and as of today, just to put something in perspective, it sits at around 350 billion, which, um, <laughs> you know, just thinking yeah. about that is extreme now. Uh, which that's like, well, like a 26 times yeah. multiple of where it could potentially be. Yep. Right. So yep. that, that's a, that iPhone exponential growth <laughs> right? Yep. for the terrible camera I had to like the three cameras on the back that are pretty much better than anything that they can get out there. Yeah. And how are they saying this gets there is, you know, basically their, their belief is that, you know, decentralized networks are likely going to take share from existing financial intermediaries and beneficiaries of this shift are going to be Ethereum decentralized finance and all of these smart contract platforms, because what they're going to be able to do is take away that we, we put out a post, uh, you know, about two weeks ago now, if, if you've seen it, hopefully, if not, check out our Instagram, talking about how 20% of the US GDP is intermediary roles. So if these smart contract platforms are able to take away, you know, a significant portion of what that GDP number is, that is where their belief comes from that this space could rapidly grow to a $20 trillion uh, you know, industry. Now, do we think that that is the most likely scenario? Who knows, right? Mm -hmm. That's just, that's just one analyst project, right? There's, there's people on both sides of the issue that certainly have their beliefs. It, like anything in life, there's, you got your bears and your bulls on either side. I think no the doubt. best case and worst case yep. scenario. Uh, but it's, but it's really interesting to, to hear one, one side that, that has the, you know, the best possible solution. Yeah. And a few good examples, a slide that I really liked in this, it was talking about smart contracts are, uh, you know, upending the traditional financial sector with with being more open and transparent and not relying on these traditional financial intermediaries um, there before by really reducing the counterparty risk, right? So meaning having that that other party involved could increase risk by some way, shape, or form. So they gave six examples, right? Um, with bank and lending, exchanges, brokerages, asset management, insurance, and derivatives. So the traditional finance example is Bank of America. They do banking and they do lending. Well, there's this this token called Compound, right? That's decentralized finance that could that essentially does all the same things that that Bank of America can do, but through this protocol. Same thing, the New York Shock Exchange. An example of what could replace that is something like Uniswap, where you have people that are coming together that want to exchange one asset for another asset, but instead of going to the New York Stock Exchange, we could go to Uniswap and do that same thing. So, for example. Apple, right, is listed on on the stock exchange. And if I want to trade Apple through our custodian, TD Ameritrade or Charles Schwab, 
I put in an order, that order goes to the stock exchange, and then I'm making a purchase from somebody else that's there. But I have to do that through our custodian who has to do it through the New York Stock Exchange in some way, shape, or form. Uh, With Uniswap, I can go directly to that liquidity pool and directly find another buyer where the Ethereum blockchain and protocol that's built, that Uniswap is built on top on, automatically can facilitate that transaction in a smart contract way. So it really goes right on down the line with other um, things in the brokerage, asset management, insurance, and derivatives with other protocols that are out there. Yep. Uh, and, and honestly, that's why we do have the approach that we do. This is not financial advice, obviously. But with our, our crypto index that we're, we're utilizing is to get access to all of these different things as the ecosystem grows and expands. You know, we could say, here's the old way, here's the decentralized finance way, yep. right, to get this done through protocols. So I thought that slide was really interesting. Yeah, no, certainly. And, you know, like we always say with anything else, like this is not something that's going to happen overnight. No it's going to take years. That is why we always stress, <clears throat> you know, making reasonable investments. Don't do anything crazy. <laughs> Don't say I'm going 100% on crypto, right? Like most advisors will advise somewhere around 5% of your allocation, depending on your age, your risk tolerance. So make sure you do your own due diligence before doing anything. Ask questions, speak yeah. to the people that you need to speak to. Um, if you got questions, obviously feel free to reach out to us. We're ha- more than happy to provide any insights that we can um, to help you. No doubt. All right. So with that, we will uh, we'll be back next week with... Um, some common crypto concerns, uh, some issues that a lot of people have, and we will uh, we'll be given our thoughts, um, how to think about some things, and it'll be a great one next. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks, guys. If you want even more insights on the path to success, follow Ryan and Fran at Opulus LLC on Instagram and Facebook, or check us out on the web at www.opulus.us. Lastly, the content of this podcast is not to be viewed as personal investment, legal, or tax advice. You should always consult with a professional advisor before implementing any topics discussed.